The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Our guests this week are the writer for The Athletic, Amy Lawrence, and the writer, podcaster, tactical analyst and ex-Arsenal player, Adrian Clark. Hello. Hello, Hello everybody. Hello, guys. Hello, guys. Uh, we're recording this, by the way, I should say, the afternoon after Arsenal scraped through against Benfica in the, inverted commas, home leg of our round of 32 Europa League knockout tie. Uh, I've got to be honest with you, 86 minutes into last night's game, this was going to be a very different podcast, but another bit of Saka brilliance and Aubameyang poaching, and we're into the last 16, where we will face, yet again, Olympiacos, which I guess is a big chance for Ober to lay that ghost to rest. Um, now, it was a stirring comeback last night with a late goal winner and Arsenal's home crowd <laughs> roaring them to victory from their comfort of their own sofas. I wanted to ask, um, what's your favourite? Well, we put out a thing on Twitter. What's our favourite late goal win in Europe? It generally became just goals in Europe. Uh, Adrian, I'll come to you first. What's your favourite? Well, I've I've not gone back too far in history, but the one that came to my mind was was at the San Siro in 2008 when a team contained in Almunia, Senderos, Diaby, Galas, so not, not a glittering array of Arsenal legends, went and beat AC Milan 2-0, Nesta, Maldini, Perlo, Kaka, Inzaghi. It was goalless, wasn't it, for I think 174 minutes of the tie. We battered them at the San Siro but couldn't find a breakthrough until... Cesc Fabregas scored, I think, with, with five or six minutes left. Ambitious effort, it's in! Oh, that'll do it! Cesc Fabregas, with a little over six minutes remaining, has put Arsenal within sight of the quarterfinals of the Champions League and within sight of becoming the first ever English team to beat Milan in the San Siro. They're that close now! A little rasper, wasn't it, from, from about 25 yards into the bottom corner. And then just a couple of minutes later, Walcott, a very young Walcott, skips down the right and sent us for Adebayor to, to, to finish them off. And, and yeah, that was that was a, sort of one of my early memories of, of working again for Arsenal TV. I think I was on, on commentary duty for that one. And yeah, it was a, a famous win. It's a good evening. Uh, Lucy Guna, by the way, a friend of the show. Friend, actually, generally. Uh, she also mentioned uh, Cesc at the San Siro 4th of March 2008, nearly 13 years ago. Um, his face says it all. Uh, <laughs> I think that's true, uh, actually. Amy, what about you? How many... Um, you're going to list all our European goals, I imagine. <laughs> well, I've, I've narrowed it down to three this week. <laughs> of course you have. Just, okay. just the late ones. Um, but I'll just go back to the, uh, the great goal and moment that Adrian chose. Didn't Fabregas go and run and jump into... Arsene Wenger's arms in the dugout afterwards. It was like, Daddy! It was kind of a really nice moment. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've got one of my one of my efforts is also San Siro, but it was um, the five-one against Inter Milan. And the reason I I love that game. I can't tell you how much I love that game. It was one of the all-time great trips, and it was. It, to win 5-1 in a game of that sort of uh, stature really felt Im- important. And two of the goals were very late. Edu got one and Pires got one. Henri slid into Freddie Jumper. It'll come here for Edu. It's only 4-1 to Arsenal in the San Siro. And it's another Henri assist. <laughs> That's a good finish as well. That's brilliant. He can hardly believe it. The 3,000 travelling Arsenal fans can hardly believe it, but you better believe it. And the thing I remember most about is if you watch the goals again, is that the players are just laughing. It's it's a fantastic scene where they're so almost, um, they can't believe what's going on that they're just killing themselves. We're just so good, aren't we? They were just chuckling to themselves. How good were we? Yeah, (laughs) it was quite unusual that. Um, Another couple to throw into the mix... um, one of which is uh, uh, another Italian away day. Uh, Robert Pires scored at Lazio. Uh, a fantastic goal which probably launched his uh, Arsenal career in a way because he, he had a bit of time adjusting and, and from that moment he, he, 
he felt, I think, that confidence to show and express exactly what he was and who he was on the pitch for Arsenal. And it was an important goal because it, um, it, it, it gave Arsenal the point, I think, to qualify out of the group stage for, if I think I'm remembering this right, the first time. And it felt like a really big step for the club. I mean, it's funny looking back because obviously there was so many consecutive years of being in the Champions League that people became so accustomed and almost took it for granted. But but at the beginning, Arsenal's European record was never quite as immense as a club of their domestic standing and trophies merited. Probably still isn't. Um, so to be in that company and the first uh, season, I don't think Arsenal got out of the group. Um, so the second season, it was it was a great thing to be uh, taking that step. My final entry, um, uh, somebody, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but uh, also suggested this on Twitter. It's a great shout. Um, Meza Ozil scored a, a late one to cement a victory over Bayern Munich uh, in 2015. And um, this is a pure personal one where I took my uh, eldest, who was seven at the time, and I was like, come on, rite of passage, come and see a big European night. So I just decided to film the last few moments on my mobile phone of just what was going on in their crowd and their reaction for the final whistle and to see my little lad's face in this crowd. And uh, Arsenal attacked and, and scored this goal that was a sort of delayed reaction in pre-VAR days because it, it kind of went in and actually went over the line but got cleared and went back out and everyone went, oh, thinking that it had been cleared and didn't really celebrate the goal. And... My son just kept saying, it's over the line, it's over the line, it's over the line. <laughs> and then then the then Ozil scored and it really was in and everybody celebrated properly. But there's this little moment in time where he saw it, like he was certain. And uh, I just love that. So I'm singing that in because if football's not about personal emotions, uh, what's it about? I don't know. Quite. Um, I mean, a number of people actually, uh, Lucy... Uh, Guna uh, also mentioned um, the uh, inter-away game, uh, saying how Thierry Henry ran that game, and it was fantastic to see. Also mentioned by Daniel Ball, every goal at, at uh, inter-away, the best game I've ever seen in the flesh, and I was fortunate enough to be at Old Trafford in 2002 and White Hart Lane in 2004. Daniel also chooses a single goal, um, then Lundberg against Juventus, but then says, but Amy will take that on as one of her 10, <laughs> rather than one of her favourites. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, James Donnan, 2014 Champions League, 1-0 down away to Andalette. Gibbs and Podolski score in the last two minutes to get a win. Nakul Pandey, for some reason, my two favourites were in defeats. I guess, uh, well, the first one, Andre Alshevin was a win, but we lost in the, the other, the second leg. And Theo Walcott's, Pitch length sprint to set up Emmanuel Adebayor at Anfield, which was great, and we enjoyed it immensely for about two minutes. Um, still, well, we did, didn't we? Stephen Hills uh, said Bergkamp underrated but absolutely brilliant winner in Champions League against FC Thun or Ashley Cole against Kiev. Maybe a couple of people have mentioned that one. Uh, from my point of view, because um, it's one. For the slightly older listener, Paul Vassen uh, against Juventus in 1980, away at Juventus. When they went, they decided to get a nil-nil draw and and we didn't get many chances, but we got a goal two minutes from time. Uh, Tony Dennis on Twitter agreed with me. Now, right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of three ninety nine a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. And I should have said thank you to people who wrote in on Twitter. Uh, we do appreciate the um, little messages. Well, the positive ones. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, let's talk about last night, shall we, team? Um uh, as I said, for 86 minutes, or on the 86 minutes, this would have been a very, very different podcast. Um, Amy, I'll come to you first. Silly mistakes. I mean, we make... This was a very, very Arsenal performance, was it not? I mean, I, I we will talk about your piece uh, later on. And I've seen a few people say this. Arsenal had to beat both Benfica and Arsenal last night. <laughs> Indeed. Um 
Well, one of my, my neighbour, Jason, sent... Well, I started off this text exchange by saying at some point in the game, we are so, so, so annoying. Um, and he replied, uh, amazing how it just takes... We can just concede a goal out of nothing, yet it takes ages for us to construct one. And this, I thought, was a very good line that I nearly stole. Gradual construction and sudden destruction. And I thought, how awesome is that at the moment? That, Should be on the badge. Really... <laughs> <laughs> on one of those banners in the stadium. That, uh, oh, yes. Hanging over the edge, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, 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 it did feel like one of those games that epitomised everything that frustrates you about Arsenal for, for a while. And I think it was, especially coming after the first leg, where it felt like Arsenal were comfortably superior to Benfica, who didn't particularly impress. And that nagging sense that you've missed an opportunity there demanded, I think, take that out positively. And I don't know sometimes whether there's a bit of caution. I mean, these so-called home second legs in European football have had a horrible habit of biting Arsenal where it hurts so many times. And I do think from a mindset point of view, no matter how you set up tactically and how switched on everyone is um, psychologically, it must be something where you think, oh, it, you feel like you've got something weighted against you. I'm a huge uh, uh, disapprover of the away goals rule in modern football. I think it's archaic. Well, especially and, when you're uh, playing on neutral grounds, for goodness well, sake. Yeah, but I mean, just even, even so, I just think a draw's a draw. I don't really understand it anymore, but... Um, it does, I'm sure, prey on the minds of, of anybody who has that as a second leg. And it just felt like Arsenal weren't relaxed. They weren't relaxed going forward. It wasn't urgent enough. Um, Adrian, I think, can take over because he's the tactical mastermind around here and try and explain the business with Emile Smith-Rowe going out to the left and Odegaard playing the 10. But it does seem to have taken away uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, energy and... Uh, some of the kind of like fast forward motion that was beginning to happen with Smith Rowe playing at a 10. Um, and obviously the mistakes, Arsenal have got mistakes all over the team, potentially uh, at the back in the midfield. And it was Danny Sabas's turn to have two shockers. But you, I think you have to be grateful for having, in this case, sort of three players who elevated themselves and who have shown themselves capable of elevating themselves when it counts over the last couple years we'll get we'll get to that amy we will we want to obviously we want to talk about those three players um but before we do that adrian as amy said you know this this tempo this slow tempo that we play with epitomized by me uh by david uh, david louise but also by Martin Keown talked about this on BT Sport last night. Having Emil Smith Rowe in order to accommodate uh, uh, Odegaard, we've moved Emil Smith Rowe out wide, and it does seem to have slowed us down. Yep. No. I, well, I think it's been a feature of, of Arsenal under Arteta that, that the construction of our attacks have have been quite uh, safe and very structured and, and sort of lacking little bit of spontaneity. We've improved a little bit on that, obviously since Saka and Smith Rowe came into the team and, and improved. But yeah, I mean, 17 shots over two games against an absolutely bang average Benfica. But very defensive not... though, very defensive Benfica. Yeah, it's just cautious. I, I think uh, Mikel Arteta is a cautious head coach by nature. And we saw that over the two legs. Certainly there were, I think Amy's bang on, she... The team were definitely nervous about conceding the away goals, and and obviously that that contributed to to Sabios make, making that mistake. Um, on on the subject of Erdegaard, I do agree. I, I feel that I feel slightly underwhelmed so far. I don't want to write write Martin off as someone that that's not going to make it at Arsenal, but but I, he's playing the safe passes to, too many times. For, in my opinion, when you when you're given that sort of coveted number ten role, you should be the guy that is that is demanding the ball, that's running the game, that's playing those forward passes in behind for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang on this occasion to, to to have chances. Now I looked into it afterwards. Obviously, he played one great pass, Erdegaard, in behind for Oba, who was offside, wasn't he? And, and the goal was disallowed. It was the only pass that he made to Aubameyang in the whole game. Um, I looked at it. He passed to Bayer in twenty times, 
and he passed double figure times to Saka. Basically, little passes to his right hand side. He passed to Smith Rowe, and remember, he's he's supposed to be in the middle. He passed to Smith Rowe once, so it, it was a very imbalanced sort of performance from from him. And and personally, I would be looking to get Smith Rowe back in there, and and to to use either Pepe or Gabriel Martinelli out on that left-hand side if we're going to stick with, with over up top. I, Amy, aren't we relying too much? I, I, I know that there has to come a point in each podcast where Amy praises uh, Bukayo Saka. I mean, I think I think it's, it's almost our little section now where we have it. And, and you know, I, you've, I know that Art wrote a piece about burnout for Saka and I guess it applies to all young players, but... You know, the way Adrian was talking there, we're saying that we need Emil Smith-Rowe, one of the youngest in the team, in the most important position in the team. And Bukayo Saka is obviously incredibly important. Is this? It's not healthy, is it, to have two players of that age really the pivotal players in any team? Um, I think I take my inspiration from Arsene Wenger, who never cared about how old anyone and never cared about their passport. And... If Smith Rowe and Saka are the best candidates for really important positions uh, in the team, then they play. I absolutely understand that you have to manage their fitness and not burn them out, and that needs to be carefully um, tackled. I'm not sure. I mean, at the moment, Saka is so critical that you just don't. Even, he doesn't barely get substituted. He has to play. He has to play. Doesn't he? Yeah. Can't uh, take him off. And and Smith Rowe has had a bit more rest. Um, he's also had perhaps a, a, a few more injury issues over his career thus far. So maybe needed a little bit of extra protection there. But they're both seem to be in very good fitness at the moment. I know Arteta mentioned some fatigue uh, for Saka yesterday. But sometimes great young players have a natural energy as well. And actually, it's not always so that you have to be rested. And history is full of some of the best young play- best players that's ever been who play a lot when they're young. So, yes, they're, they're I understand fragile, some caution. They're not fragile, but... are they, Amy? I mean, they're, 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 these the are young guy guys. The guy gets, are... gets kicked a lot and he gets up and gets on with it and does damage. It's exactly. Remarkable. I remember... When I was 18, 19, 20, 21, you didn't feel it. You, you, you weren't knackered on a Sunday. You, you could go again. But then I, I think back to when I was later on in my career, albeit maybe as a part-time player, I was absolutely burnt out. Could never have played, uh, could never have played the next day or the, or the day after. It's, I think young players can, can handle it. Well, really uh, we, well, we hope so, don't we, really? Because right now they are carrying the team. Once again last night... Um, Adrian, um, you know, Bukayo Saka really changed the, that game. I mean, the, the through pass to uh, to Oba for the first and the third goal, the general offensive nature of his play. Um, I, I mean, we, we praise him every week uh, on this podcast, but I'm very happy to do so again. We haven't heard what you specifically think about him. Well, I, I, I just love watching him and... I do think he is. It was. It was quite fitting. I think that Cesc Fabregas was was tweeting about Saka after the game because I do think that that he's the best graduate we've seen since since Cesc Fabregas. Cesc was was unbelievable. Just just on a on a on a crazy high level for his age, technically and in terms of his comfort. It blew me away watching him as a teenager. But but with Saka, it's his in products. It's the bit where he's supposed to be inexperienced and naive and a little bit overexcited, he isn't. He's cold as ice. When it comes to those those absolute pressure moments, Bukayo Saka delivers. Those two goals were were all down to him, really. Obviously, you need the run of Aubameyang for the first, but the reverse pass was just sensational. And and that late cross, when, you know, the eyes of the world are on him. At that point, he has to. He can see Aubameyang loitering at the far post, but he has he to get that on the money. And he finds and he it. Does. Yeah. He's, well, he does. Well, I mean, he, he, he I mean, does it all the time. I mean, let's be let's be fair. I've been watching Man City the last few days as well. I mean, God, could they go on about Jao Cancelo any more than they do? But you know what? <laughs> Saka Saka was playing passes just as good as him, and he cost about forty million pound less. Adrian, I hope this doesn't sound completely stupid, but I'm aware it does slightly. But 
as someone who's never really been that good good at football myself, how difficult is it to be that accurate as Saka is with a cross like that in the last few minutes of the game in a pack penalty box when you know how how is it yeah is it is it not that difficult that you might have slightly over hit or under hit how hard is it to make sure it's on the money oh it's a, yeah it's a hard question in many respects to answer because if if when there's no pressure i think i think most professional players could put that cross on on oba's head five times out of ten um so but 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 he didn't have 10 shots he had the one and and he he kept his composure i mean you've just got to look at cross accuracy across the premier league and and you'll see that it's i don't know even very very good players have cross accuracies of under 20% so one you know less than one in five reaches its intended target it's it's not that it's not easy because there are defenders there who are trying to stop you from from reaching reaching the other guy so so no i think it, it is very difficult and from the position he was in on what is still his wrong side playing as a wing back at the time i, I just thought it was technically perfect and and it just showcased what what a great temperament he's got as well as technique because some players might crumb how many times we to think about corners and how many times a player can't beat a first man at a corner they're under no pressure the ball isn't moving they got all the they got free run up and they still can't hit an Arsenal player so that's how hard it is really I'm I'm just sensing thousands of people just shaking their heads now at this point (laughs) thinking of us at corners Uh, on the other side of the pitch uh, and and someone who really is rapidly becoming a legendary Arsenal player, uh, Kieran Tierney scored the equaliser and the roar from him when he ran back, Amy. I mean, he's an inspirational character, isn't he? Well, his um, I think the consistency of his own internal will to win is so strong. Uh, I, I suspect that it's classic, you know, he wouldn't want to lose a game of tiddlywink stuff where he's just got a competitive edge that is innate inside him. And um, in the situation that Arsenal were in, where I think it was quite easy to get very frayed and lose your head uh, and not be calm and make mistakes or, or be rushed or be, pa- you know, panicked. Um He's done this before, you know, and and hopefully he'll do it again, where he has, I think, a sensibility and a knack for taking control of a situation and saying, I'm going to do this, something about this. I'm going to do something about this now, and I don't need anyone to help. I'm doing it. And that level of responsibility as a characteristic allied to the fact that he's obviously got the technique to be able to hit an explosive shot across the face of the keeper um, on the run tells you why... Kieran Tierney still looks like one of the best buys Arsenal's made in many a year. If if they can find a few more like that knocking around, get them all in. Quite. Um, I want to talk about Oba as well. Um, I mean, for (laughs) Oba to be in the position he's in, uh, Adrian, you know, especially after last week when he missed some great chances against Benfica and then to come back and score two goal crucial goals and also by the way brilliantly finished as you said Odegaard's pass which was marginally offside have we got our over back now well that's why he gets the big bucks isn't it <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that he is he is a great finisher obviously he's, he's had a he's had a rough old season been below par but but you've got to back your man haven't you especially when you give him that kind of contract and you've got to find a place for him uh, and Mikel sort of sucked it up and made quite a tough call at the time because Lacazette had improved us as a team as that sort of platform up top, but but he just realised I've got to put Aubameyang in the team and I've got to put him in in the position where he can score the most goals and even it won't work every time and he, he isn't he has limitations as a, as a centre forward in terms of his in terms of the way he links play and and how much he gets involved but but in those one v ones. He's just lethal, isn't he? Most most of the time. Well, this week, uh, yeah, this week he's lethal. Yeah, um, it was it was strange, wasn't it? In Rome, he, he just had a real off night, a little bit like the Olympiacos last year. But by and large, he he doesn't let us down too often when it comes to comes to finishing. And yeah, I, I think he's really enjoying having Saka and Smith Rowe behind him. Yes, I just think that they have reinvigorated the whole team, but also also him himself because. 
he now knows you, you as a striker you don't you, you don't bother making runs if you know that everybody's going to go sideways 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 and 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 just end up crossing the ball which what let's face it which was what was happening earlier on in the season he's now got a couple of young guys in there that will drive at teams and, and look to play those balls through and 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 it's encouraging him to make the runs and and yeah i just think it's a connection that we've just got to stay with now and and build up uh, between now and the end of the season this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Amy, I think um, Adrian made an interesting point there about runs. I saw Saka last night in the first half made a run and Erdegaard should have played him in. He definitely made a run and he was so disappointed, Saka. And and we have to start playing more forward passes, do we not? Well, it tends to be a more productive way of playing. But I mean, <laughs> yes. So I know um, it's a very obvious question, but you know what? At the same time, we had how many shots against Benfica over two legs? It's still seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. It's not really enough against a team like that. I think I'm more interested in like uh, trying to get some variety in who has yeah. the shots. I, I slightly worry there's an over reliance on, you know, Oba has to score and that's it. And I'm not sure that's entirely fair. And any successful team of the past for Arsenal, uh, particularly the most successful ones, have had variety in their goal scorers and options across the pitch, coming from midfield, coming from wide and defenders even chipping in. And I don't think there's enough at the moment. Completely agree. That's maybe uh, linked into this kind of very structured approach that Arteta is trying to put in place. And perhaps if a you know a bit with a bit more maturing of the team uh, and, and evolution, that that changes. But it, you know, I don't know how much of it is due to this is the way Arsenal are being sort of told to play. But I'd love to see. I'd love to feel more threat because I think there's no reason why others in the team couldn't be getting in goal scoring positions oh, and having shots too. Yeah. Well, let's. Oh. Let's talk about one or two of them. Uh, Adrian, um, mm. Nicola Pepe, what, mm. why is he not getting on? What's happened? Why does, does Arteta not trust him, do you think? It's a difficult one to work out because Pepe was playing better than he played at any other stage this season, I think. Yes. Before he sort of <laughs> was sat back down onto the bench. I don't know whether they, he felt that compelled to, to give Erdegaard a run in the team. But going back to Amy's point, I agree because as brilliant as Saka and Smith Rowe are, and Erdegaard is, is a player of technical ability, we can all see that. Are they all natural goal scorers? The answer is no. Saka will will chip in with more and more, I'm sure, but but they are they they are not going to be prolific. This is why I think ultimately we have to find a way to get either Pepe or Martinelli into the team because. Even though they will frustrate you, even though they'll drive you nuts at times, even though they they probably aren't as good as the count the counter press or as technical or you know they they don't offer some of the traits that that the other guys do, they have goals in them and goals out of nowhere, and that is that is what we are lacking at the moment. And 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 obviously Lacazette is another one where you get him into the team and move over, then you've got two really good finishers. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's really key moving forward. Having the three young guys looks good and feels good. And I think we all like it to some degree, but there aren't enough goals there. Not when you ask your two central midfielders to sit there, which is what Arteta wants. He wants the fifth attacker to be a wing-back. And, and, and in that case, then the wing-backs have to start scoring more goals, you know, like Tierney did. I've got a, quite a depressing stat for you, actually. <laughs> Um, I hope it's not going to, <laughs> on. to to ruin the mood too much. But but if we fail to score against Leicester this weekend, um, it will be our 11th blank in 26 Premier League games. Hopefully it won't happen, but we've had 10. It could be 11 if we don't score. That would be level with, with uh, the number of times we've failed to score across the last two full seasons. 
Um, last season, we failed to score seven times. The season before, only four times. And already, we're at 10. So that is, is an absolute obvious failing with the team. Um, and with the way, maybe, that we we approach games, particularly in the second half, and it's fitting on this podcast, the handbrake off, you know, <laughs> taking that handbrake <laughs> off in the, in, in, in the second half, I think is something we, we really have to do and, and to be a lot more spontaneous, kind of like we were over there in Athens to, to, to scramble the win. Um, we need a bit more of that spirit, I think. Yeah. Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and Adrian Buzzkill Clark. Uh, <laughs> um, no, we appreciate it. We genuinely do. Word, a word for Willian, by the way. Um, I know. I don't imagine. What word is that? <laughs> Nothing that's broadcastable. Sorry, you know too, too, too easy. It is sort of an assist, isn't it? What he did last night, and he he did seem to sort of discover that he could run faster than he previously imagined last night. Amy, um, he wasn't. You know, he he added some forward momentum, did he not? Well, it was interesting because Arteta made a point of unprompted uh, complimenting Willian in his press conference last night. So. And it's not the first time I don't think that he's done that. Arteta's very, very evidently keen to big him up uh, publicly and I presume privately as well uh, to try and get that click that he needs. Um, and, uh, you know, anybody with access to social media, I think, would have <laughs> would have seen uh, a fairly strong reaction when Willian was selected to come on to, as one of the first changes along with Thomas Partey, you know, when you're in a position where you need two goals and there's Martinelli, Lacazette and um, Pepe uh, who, are, you know, who have that more, that dynamism and a bit more attack, yeah. natural attacking <clears throat> instinct uh, not chosen in the first instance. Um, but in fairness to Willian, I think he, he did have a, a much better game than normal and he did play a part in um, getting getting Arsenal level and Arteta explained it afterwards quite interestingly and it was a strategic thing and he said look they were playing Benfica were playing with a very very low block kind of camped uh, to protect their own box and that having players to sort of run in behind you know with pace wasn't necessarily the way to get round them and that he wanted a bit more composure, a bit more guile. And that was his explanation as to why he chose Willian over, say, Pepe um, or Martinelli. And, uh, uh, you know, the Partey substitution made lots more sense. Um, and it's it's one of those things where I think as the season goes on and the more Partey hopefully plays and settles in, you'll re- realise how frustrating it's been to have had a plan for a you know a top caliber 50 million pound midfield player come in and barely play it's been such a killer over these last few weeks um and he helped tidy things up a bit but look it i think we'd be having a different conversation about willian this morning had arsenal not won that match and gone through because people would be saying exactly the criticisms of why is he is he getting favorable treatment why is he the first to come on why are others not getting a chance uh but he played a part in turning around the game so Arteta has every right to turn around and say I took that choice this is why and it worked yes and bring on Olympiacos in the round of 16 <laughs> who I know <laughs> I know I know it's oh, like them. a sort of, uh, them again they are they are the Greek version of Bayern Munich for us now uh, although hopefully this time uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang can lay that ghost from last year and uh, take us through to the quarterfinals uh, Ian Stone here with Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence on Handbrake Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic <laughs> We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. We're joined now by the writer for The Athletic, Art de Roche. Hello, Art. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me after a decent win last night. By the way, did you see Bukayo Saka's uh, tweet last night saying, sorry for almost giving you a heart attack? And I thought, almost, mate. Yeah. Thank you very much. But, uh, um, yeah, I want to talk to you about um, Saka. You wrote a piece about uh, about Bukayo Saka, young players generally in burnout. We had a little chat beforehand uh, about, you know, Adrian was saying young players, they can take it at their age. But 
you, the the number of minutes he's played. Only Burnt Leno, Hector Bellerin, and Granit Xhaka have played more minutes in the Premier League and the Europa League. I mean, these are senior players, Art. Yeah, and I think for me, the real kind of, I wouldn't say issue, just what was maybe concerning was he's he's 19 years old, and I think it's easy to forget that when we think about how long he's been in and around the first team, and he's still going to be a developing person as uh, still growing. Yeah, exactly. Art, still- actually growing you know yeah that's 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 kind of the main concern that I had not that he's not good enough because we've all seen he's more than good enough he's probably Arsenal's best player this season but um just how he's been I guess managed is what I I was looking at in that piece and maybe that will change now that Arsenal are into the next round but um yeah I just thought it was maybe time to bring attention to that Amy, I mean, I do think he's being managed well. As as we all said before Art came on, we can't leave him out at the moment, can we? Well, I mean, I think the game on Sunday at Leicester is going to be a, a, an interesting one because he probably could do with the rest from that. But it depends how much Mikel is looking at that and thinking we need Premier League points and let's give it everything to try and get them. There is at least a, a reasonable break um, of almost a week until the next game against Burnley after that. So there are at least a few days to have a breather. But I think it would be advisable to maybe not start Bukayo um, at Leicester because the last thing you want is a a, a kind of a silly injury Um that might come from a bit of fatigue but maybe Adrian's right and he can just manage I don't know got to trust the guys who are in there every day it's a it's a hard I think players don't like being rested first and foremost and and informed players definitely don't like being rested because they feel like they're missing out but on, on goals and assists it shouldn't be up to them though should it Adrian no That's no it shouldn't no you're right and, and Amy makes it makes it makes a valid point I think probably he could do the rest I'd rather have him for example maybe in the game against Burnley where you you really need that that creativity to break down the low block and and, and stuff I think he could he could make a real difference in that game but but yeah look, interesting decision it's, it takes a brave coach to leave leave someone that's playing as well as he is out of the side at the moment I think mentally it, it you you have to look after players as well it's it can be draining to to go again and again and again with these high pressure matches especially when expectations are so heavy on on that player's shoulders but but from the outside looking in he just i don't know he just looks chilled yeah. he doesn't look like he's yeah. Weighed down at all, does he? So, so maybe we should just stop fretting. I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's interesting. Art, oh, the thing about leaving Saka out of the Leicester game is that a sort of tacit admission that the league is less important at this point than the Europa League? Well, I think we've all seen that's the case with Mikel saying it was <laughs> it was a cup final last night before the game even started. So maybe less important is the wrong word, but. I do feel that uh, with how far Arsenal are off, the top four in particular, the Europa League is going to have to take a priority. That's going to be a bit more difficult when it comes around because there's obviously the the North London derby in between both legs. So there's another dilemma for Mikel to decide how important that game is. And I know uh, Arsenal fans will probably be looking very uh, keenly at what he does in those uh, three games. Um, But yeah, I think the Europa League is probably the main priority now uh, to uh, get Champions League football, if possible, um, in the final. Yeah, I guess. I guess, Amy, by by going for the Europa League, you know, all out almost, they might actually miss out on um, on even Europa League football next year if they don't get in the top six or seven. I mean, I saw the the. The, uh, you wrote a piece uh, last week about Manchester Manchester City game, which was which was not a total first team. It was a general feeling that we can't get anything uh, against these, so we'll we'll go for a slightly weaker team. And you contrasted it with a game that happened fifteen, I think it was fifteen years before, on the same day when um, Thierry Henry scored the winning goal in the Bernabeu um, against Real Madrid against a Galactico. Uh, stuffed, if you like, around Madrid, and it was um, a compare and contrast. Not not entirely um, a happy piece, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, I think 
I don't know. I just any excuse to talk about that win at the Burnabout. <laughs> you know. um, but you know that was. A, a, I remember how terrible Arsenal have been doing in the in the league. Uh, if you look back at the at the fixtures prior to going to play Real Madrid, they they were in absolutely dismal form. Um, I think of one like one in six or seven. We losing all over the place. Uh, this was the beginning of when Arsene Wenger put together the most remarkable record-breaking defence you could ever imagine. Mathieu Flamini at left back. Ebuway at right back and Senderos with Colo Torre in the middle. Um, you know, it seemed uh, that team didn't concede the goal in Europe for pretty much Ten the games. entire competition Ten until they games. got to the final. Yeah. I mean, you could not imagine that happening when you sit down and go, mm, we've got a problem here at the back. But uh, I think it was, um, I do, I remember going to that game at the Bernabeu and being outside with a mate who was looking for a ticket uh, and everybody, you know, were so morose, and the Real Madrid fans were so supremely confident. It seemed an impossibility that Arsenal could win, but um, they played superbly on the night. And uh, Cesc Fabregas, uh, you know, as a Barcelona boy, got an ovation. I think we're talking about him again. Uh, we were talking about young players earlier, and and Saka, but he 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 really came of age. I think, even though he was having a great season, and he wasn't exactly brand new, but. I think it was a moment where the the Spanish uh, public and media recognised quite how exceptional this boy was. He kind of ran the show and sent uh, Thierry Henry on, on his way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that sometimes you've got to stumble upon things when form is bad and something clicks for you and it can send you off in a different direction. And that was one of the things that Mikel was talking about last night, which is whether or not this moment, uh, as slightly bizarre as it was, can can help the team to relaunch in a way because they can believe that they can get out of difficult spots. Um, I don't know if it's going to be enough of a pivotal moment. Time will tell. But I sense Amy he might he might rest players ahead of the Olympiacos game, the Burnley game. He might feel that that he can actually. I'll go back on what I said with Saka. He might play Saka in this one. So there's kind of no point resting someone when you've got you know another game in between then the difficult choices have come for the Burnley game where I think we'll probably go weaker but the one in between the two legs is the North London yeah, derby we can't rest we can't what's rest he going to do I think he'll have to pick his, his strongest team for all three matches yes, I think I believe he I will he'll so. have to yes. near enough and and that stretches us uh, a little bit does it not Adrian because we're still only talking about we're not talking about a semi-final well, here. we're talking about a round of 16 well, you say stretches us. Who who is going to be rested now? I, I don't think defenders need to be rested. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to, to defenders, but but they don't they don't do it, especially centre halves. They don't do as much running. They don't need to be rested, in my opinion. It's only protection from injury, really. I think, and and, and we've already talked about the players we want in the team, anyway. So I wouldn't be that upset to see. Pepe, Martinelli and Lacazette start a game soon, even if it was all together, would you? I, I don't think it would unduly weaken us. For example, against Burnley, ahead of Olympiacos, if we went with those three as part of your front four, I don't think Arsenal fans would be up in arms. No. So, so yeah, it's. I, I think we're quite well stocked at the moment. It's not like injuries are a huge problem. Um, obviously, we've got to look after Thomas Partey, have to make sure he's available for those Europa League games. But yeah, I'm okay at the moment with rotating forwards because they're the explosive players. They're the ones that you can sort of unleash in, in fits and starts, I think. All right, let's have a game of uh, a regular game of random arse generator. This is when our uh, our producer, Tao sends uh, me the name of a player and then we come up with some random facts. We go round the... Um, the contributors, uh, our, our uh, player this year, uh, this uh, week, is uh, Laurent Koscielny. First thing that springs to mind is his goal in the FA Cup final against Hull City. I was there, I was there with my son, just watching as a fan. I wasn't working on the game and 
yeah, just just joy unconfined uh, when, when he scored there and and what a day that was. Got injured uh, with that one as well, didn't he? Got quite hurt. He had to turn and the goalkeeper crashed into him. It was a good moment though. It's a very, very good moment. Amy, what about you? Well, funnily enough, I, I was thinking of that one and in, in terms of, it, I almost have this, my general overall thought about him is of him throwing himself at something and getting hurt. I feel like he did that quite a lot. He did, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I think I'm going to go for the fact that I thought there was something always rather inspiring about the fact that he was a great servant for the club and he and Olivier Giroud both came from having played in this in the the third division in France. They played for Tour together in Ligue 2. Um, oh, uh, 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 and they really had to go down through the leagues to relaunch themselves. And, you know, it, it gave them, I think, a sort of uh, a quiet determination as players, both of them, um, which I thought was always really inspiring. So I'm going to say hats off to Lauren Koscielny for being a great club servant and having to work his way through to be a top player. And having to play with some of the players he played with next to him as well, by the way. <laughs> Fair play, mate, for putting up with some of the centre-halves you were paired with. Um, I'll, I'll pick uh, a goal he scored against Newcastle that I think got us into the Champions League away yeah. at, uh, at St James's Park. A little 1-0 win that's um, one of the many years when we scraped into fourth place. Um, oh, how we wish for those days now. Uh, uh, back to you, Art. Can we have another uh, Laurent Koscielny memory? I was actually going to say Newcastle and West Brom because obviously the year before mm. he scored the winner at West Brom, which got Arsenal into the Champions League. Which was, was that the 3-2? Oh, yeah, 3-2, sorry. Pat Rice's last game as Arsene Wenger's assistant manager. Um, so I'll go with that one. Uh, Adrian, any more? Laurent Koscielny? Well, I don't think we could ignore his contribution to the winning goal. I think we're on some kind of anniversary of it, aren't we, of Birmingham City beating us oh, in, in that League Cup yeah. final so I'm afraid that is one of my standout memories I liked him as a player yeah. but that was not that was not a good moment no that was not Amy what have you got well he was Arsenal captain wasn't he uh, he was Arsenal captain fact. it is a fact yes yeah. he was Arsenal captain I would like to definitely mention the uh, the slightly tardy way that he left I think it was uh, unfortunate really uh, and it and it does it does taint someone's career do you not think when when someone leaves in that way he was a player for us and then he demanded he said he wouldn't play and uh, I, I I thought less of him I know that we were going through a strange time but even still I thought less of him for that um, Art anymore in fact we'll open it up now anyone else got anything uh, lovely right foot from uh, with his long balls from the back, I think, and that uh, partnership he had with Per Mertesacker around 2012 mm. to 2014, where I think they conceded like as a pair the least goals in the Premier League. So uh, that was a great time for Arsenal um, to have those two together. Nice, Amy, Adrian, anything else? I think we've I think we summed him up pretty well. He was he was he was a good determined player, wasn't he for us? Yeah. Um, Never got a song um, for him though, did we? Didn't I don't believe we did. I'm not sure we had a song for that was it. That's not enough. We didn't put enough work into that. I've got to go. I've got to give it to Art this week. I think three very solid facts. From uh, our very very strong performance, nice one, Art. There's no prize. There's no prize, by the way. You know, Art's the winner. Let's have a song before we go. Um, Art, we'll come to you first. Actually, do you have a song Uh, for us? Yeah, I've actually got one this week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, with everything going through Bukayo Saka at the moment, I know. I think Amy's had a few songs dedicated to him, but I'm going to go for. Uh, Man of the Year by we can either go with Schoolboy Q or Logic because they both got songs titled that uh, so that's going to be my choice It's ridiculous. Uh, Adrian, we'll come to you. 
I've got, well, I'm gone with lyrics, uh, some of the lyrics from Desiree's You Gotta Be. Uh, you'll all know this song. Uh, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser, you gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger, you gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you got to stay together. And and I think that, that sort of sums up our week, really. I wanted us to be bolder against Manchester City. I was a little bit frustrated. You know, you gotta tough it out against teams like that. But then... When the chips were down against Benfica, they did they did pull pull those those qualities out of the bag and and yeah I think I think that those lyrics are quite apt for for Arsenal's week. I bet Desiree never knew she was writing a team talk. Do you, do you think <laughs> when she put that that song together? Um, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, do you know what? I, I just want to mention, I'm going to have Back in Black uh, by ACDC, uh, which is essentially a comeback song and uh, for the comeback last night because we all love a comeback victory and I wish it had been at the Emirates and there were 60,000 people there to celebrate after a VAR check, of course, the 87th minute winner. Uh, Amy, what have you got? Um, I'm going to take a song off of uh, Massive Attack's great album, Blue Lines, inspired by none other than Bukayo Saka. Um, because uh, I just feel like I'm so damn grateful that we're watching him and he plays for Arsenal. So I'm going to go for be thankful for what you've got. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to Art de Roche, Adrian Clark, Amy Lawrence and Taya Papula, our producer. Uh, thank you very, very much for listening. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. Thank you.